Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Chrisman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week I bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, professors of theater education, and teaching artists that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. So grab your coffee or glass of wine, plug in your headphones, or turn up your car stereo, and relax. Thanks for joining me for these heartwarming conversations and practical advice from other theater teachers on the front lines making a difference in their students' lives each and every day. I am super excited to welcome to this episode of Fed Talks Dr. Desiree Cameron uh, from Los Angeles. Well, she's in Los Angeles now and the Director of Visual and Performing Arts at Westside Neighborhood School. Um, she taught at elementary, middle school, and at the collegiate level. I am super pumped to talk with you tonight, Desi. Welcome to the show. Introduce yourself and, and just kind of share your story and your journey of how we got to where you are now. Thank you. That was a perfect introduction. Well, thank I, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. I am so excited to be here with you. I think I was saying this to you before we hit record that I really appreciate that you have a forum like this where you have the opportunity to talk to other people who are passionate about theater and education. And I think that's great. I don't think there's enough of that. So I'm glad that you're doing that. Okay. A little bit about me. Ooh. So I guess I'll start with, um, I always loved theater. Uh, and I was actually torn between pursuing theater or being a pediatrician because I loved kids. But then I thought, well, if they're crying and screaming and I can't help them and I can't you know, make them laugh, what am I going to do? So I decided to pursue the theater route more for the psychological standpoint. I was interested in learning about other people and understanding why people are the way they are. So I pursued my BFA in musical theater from the University of Miami. And once I got all my musical theater credits out of the way, I switched to an acting major so that I could still minor with music, but then I wanted to take more directing classes and acting classes, acting for the camera, et cetera. And by the time I was a junior, I freaked out. I thought, oh gosh, what am I gonna do with my life? I'm not trying to pursue fame and glory. I just wanted to learn about other people and I love theater. Um, what do I do? And meanwhile, I'd been working at camps and teaching, but I never saw that as a job, right? I just thought this is the best thing to do all day is to play and have a great time. Um, so my brothers, who were both in the medical profession, said, well, Desi, why don't you take one of the graduate entrance exams to see if you can pursue medical school or law school or whatever? And they're like, well, with medical school, you have to be pre-med. But with law school, they like actors. So why don't you just take the LSAT? I thought, OK, why not? So I took the LSAT, did pretty well. And started law school, clueless, just no idea of what I was getting into. I thought maybe I'll be an entertainment lawyer. Um, and when I started law school, I was doing a lot of acting out cases <laughs> and I was interested in mock trial and I created cartoons and I would lead study groups. And my teachers finally pulled me aside and they said, Desi, why do you want to be a lawyer? I said, you know, I, I don't know, but maybe I want to teach law. And they're like, well, if you want to be a teacher, go teach. You know, you don't have to teach law. I said, well, that's what you're doing. And then they kind of gave me a stink face. Um, <laughs> and so I thought, yeah, you know, I don't want to be a lawyer. This, this is definitely not what I want to do. Maybe I do want to do something with teaching, but I don't know what on earth I'm going to do. So dropped out of law school, felt like a complete failure. 
And uh, my mom was so mad. She came to get me from my university and she was building a retirement home with my dad at the time um, in Sarasota, Florida. And as they were building it, she said, you know what? I'm just going to be here. I'm going to look for a job. We're going to figure out your life. And she had, and this is no joke, real story. She had an interview at a private school to be the, a possible receptionist. Okay. And she wanted me to come along just because she wanted to keep her eye on me. So there I am wearing a sundress. It's not inappropriate, but not like appropriate for school and sandals. And I walk in, I sit down in the front area while I'm waiting for my mom as she has her interview. And there's this little girl who looks at me and she says, excuse me, are you a teacher? And I lied to her. Like, I just looked at her straight out and I said, yep. <laughs> like I was like, what? And then she said, oh, and she lit up and she said, come with me. Because I smiled at her. You know, she, I was like, what? A, she takes me by the hand, walks me to the front office. And she says, excuse me, this lady is applying for the fifth grade teaching position here. And I look at this girl who ended up being in my class and I look at her and I'm like, oh, um, actually, yeah, I'm not a teacher. I don't I don't I have you know, I just did my theater bachelor's in fine arts and I, you know, I love kids. But and they look at me and they said, you know what, we're desperate. We've had eight teachers come in and out of that classroom. Nobody wants to stay with them. Um, you know, if you're interested, you can start tomorrow. And I thought, oh, <laughs> uh, so they gave me a pile of stuff. I thought, okay, now I'm no longer an embarrassment. I can start teaching. I was like, what on earth am I going to do? What are they doing right now? Because it was mid-year, right? That's when I dropped out of law school. So my mom doesn't end up getting the receptionist job, but I end up getting the fifth grade teaching job. And they were reading The Secret Garden. I still remember this. This was 20 plus years ago. And um, I thought, okay, what can we do with this? We can act it out. And so we acted out as much as possible. We acted out math if we could, you know, an improper fraction. Why were they being so improper? Like We're just trying to figure everything out. It's like, we're going to act everything out. And I told the students, I was so transparent with them. I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. I love kids and I love theater. I need to learn how to be a teacher. I'm not certified. And they said, don't worry, we're going to. So they created a fake certification for me. And I said, well, this is really sweet. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I realized that I actually knew quite a lot instinctually, which you learn when you are training to be an actor. There's a lot that actually crosses over with teaching and education and getting your audience involved. So that's kind of how I started teaching. And I fell in love with it. And I did go through and get the perfect certifications that I needed to get. I got my master's in elementary education, and I was teaching in public and private schools, doing a lot of arts integration naturally. I then got my second master's in arts education because I just wanted to do more and work with community organizations too. So I wanted to have a larger reach. Um, so then I worked in a professional theater and I did education, teaching artists work, um, and then finally, I thought, you know, I want to work with teachers. So that's when I got my doctorate in educational theater at NYU. And um, and since then, I've been teaching teachers and working with kids and um, 
working as a consultant in a variety of different community organizations as well, because I feel very lucky that I had the opportunity of being a classroom teacher that integrated the arts, an actual teaching artist, as well as an arts teacher, and someone who teaches all of that to people who are interested in educational theater. So after being in New York, um, my first husband, I only, I'm only on my second. I plan on staying on my second. <laughs> okay, so my first husband wanted to come out to L.A. to pursue acting himself. And so I found a job here at Westside Neighborhood School, and they didn't quite have a theater program yet. But the principal was very excited about my background, said, you know, we'll figure something out. You'll create a program, and then you'll just run with it. And I thought, great, that's what I need. So while my husband and I didn't quite work out, um, this job did, and I created the theater program here, as well as help to nurture our visual arts teachers as well. And I support and mentor our teachers in the department. And it's a very collaborative department, and we put on a lot of productions every year. Um, most of them are student devised, which is really exciting. And of course, we'll do some scripted shows too. But that's kind of the program that I've built here, which is a lot of fun. And I love that I still get to do that while I'm teaching at the university level. So I've worked at Pepperdine as well in their teacher ed program for arts integration. And then I work at UCLA in their arts program, teaching, teaching artists, as well as those who want to teach the art form or just want to find a way to live a happier life for a couple hours in a class. That's, that is a journey. <laughs> We've got a lot to unpack there. That's a journey. Obviously the, the, the acting component and your initial work in musical theater and acting um, and then directing as well um, has carried through law school into your teaching yes. artist work and, and into what you're doing now. Um, Absolutely. What are, what are some of those? Um, I think teachers, I think the theater teachers listening under, completely understand where acting comes from and how you incorporate that into your teaching, um, especially teaching theater. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about law school, because that may not have been the path for you, but surely there were some things you took from that experience that you've brought forward with you. I think everything that you do in your life, whether you think it's connected or not to your career path, helps you, as you're saying. And so what I feel like I learned at law school I was one of six women out of hundreds of men in our first year law class at the time. Again, I feel like I'm dating myself. Although maybe I'm hoping things have changed. Um, but it was interesting to see that even with every legal case, there's conflict, obviously, and a sense of the dramatic. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that actually put me off about courtroom dramas, so to speak, was that even if you knew someone was guilty, if you were put to defend them, um, you had to really fight to defend mm -hmm. uh, and not kind of tell the truth. And I think that's something I had a real problem with was, well, Yes, we can be in imagining in imaginary scenarios when we're performing, but aren't we always seeking to tell the truth in some way or another? Mm. And 
so unless I felt like I was on the side where I was prosecuting someone who was being, who was, or I was defending someone who was actually innocent, I had real trouble switching sides. Um, but the idea of exploring multiple perspectives and understanding what people could come up with and innocent until proven guilty, or if there's any doubt, and I mean, just all this, um, there's a lot of connections, especially in a trial where you have to convince a jury of something. And I know in the same way when you're on stage, you're trying to convince your audience of something. Mm -hmm. So there is definitely a lot of connection there. Um, and I guess the, the other connection I can find were some of the more least fascinating classes. I'm trying to be diplomatic about this. The courses that I just thought were incredibly dense uh, and were more focused on memorizing certain things reminded me of some theater history. Um, I do think it's important to know theater history, but I'm not teaching it. <laughs> I mean, I am teaching it in some aspects, but I'm not focusing on doing that. So in terms of how my law school experiences has impacted me today, it made me realize that I'm really more interested in being truthful on stage. Um, even if you're in an imaginary scenario, how can we make the audience connect and believe that what's happening is happening? Um, and for there to be some reality and belief in that moment. I love that. I love that. Um, and I, what I find one of the most fascinating parts of your story was the that fifth grade girl who just took you in and got you a job. I mean, that's yeah, what that happened. was amazing. Um, I, I love how how people's journeys lead lead them to this profession. Because um, if it had not been for Coco Thornton, my freshman year of college, grabbing me and taking me to an audition across campus, I would never have been doing this. And right. like, it was like, whether you believe in a higher power or whatever, there was a reason for that kid and you to be in that place in that moment. Yes, um, yes, a hundred percent. What? And not being certified, you started the next day. Um, what, in that, <laughs> that first experience with, with that fifth grade class, what surprised you the most about uh, teaching and and I guess about about you as a teacher, as you learned who that was? Well, I think my natural instinct, and this is where I thought I was doing the wrong thing, but I was actually doing the right thing, is I was so excited to play. I was so excited to make learning exciting and not just fun. I mean, yes, you should have fun, but but oh my gosh, we get to explore things and bring things to life. We get to pretend we're people from the past, the present, the future. We can be anywhere at any time. Yeah, sign me up. Let's do this right now. And with social studies, that's all hilarious, ridiculous, really depressing historical stories, but they're stories. Mm -hmm. They're still all story-based. So social studies and language arts were such natural fits and science and math were a bit more challenging, but I found ways to be naturally pretend to be teacher and role. So for example, with a science class, I would pretend to be a very old lady who forgot a lot of things. And I would go in and say, oh, I have a garden and there were these slimy things and now they're frogs. What happened to the slimy things? And then the students would say, oh, those were tadpoles and now they're frogs, you know? So they would, would help by teaching me. So I would flip the script in a way by not being this authoritative teacher, I was playing with them but they were still learning. And the issue was, I was the only one at my particular school who was teaching in this method. And um, I got a lot of flack for it, actually. There were some 
other teachers that said, oh, you know, we don't do it this way. And even at other schools where I taught, I continued this play-based fun method because it's just the kids were engaged. They were excited to be at school. They wanted to learn. They didn't want to leave school and they came running to school. I thought I must be doing something right. Um, and I do have to credit the arts for a lot of that. I think when you're engaged in any kind of artistic activity, you tend to be happier. There's got to be some sort of scientific research study there about your serotonin levels increasing doing the arts. It's just got to be there. Um, so gosh, what was I saying? Um, yeah, I, there was a lot of playing and, uh, I was told I needed to do a lot more direct instruction, a lot more, I do, you do, than we do. Um, and I thought, why can't we just do, we do, why can't we just jump into the, let's, let's all just do this and see what happens, um, and switch it up a bit. Uh, and when I ended up going to get my certification in elementary ed, yes, I learned a lot of ways of teaching and lesson planning and unit planning that I didn't know before. And I learned about various theorists and yada, yada. Um, but again, I was drawn to those like Vygotsky um, who, you know, were interested in play, even Dewey with experience. And I mean, none of this was new. It just wasn't being used to its full capacity at my schools where I was teaching. Um, and so when I was being challenged, I remember one year in particular, there was another fifth grade teacher who said, you know what, my students always get the best vocab scores um, on these tests because she had them just memorize. I said, OK, you're on. Let's do a challenge. Let's see how my kiddos do. And my kiddos, we acted out all the vocab words like they knew all the vocab words. And time and again, my kiddos would always beat her kiddos. And there was a part of me that was like, yeah, in your face. But then I thought, you know, how sad is that that her kids didn't get to experience that? Um, so she ended up easing up on me a bit and saying, OK, I guess you don't have to teach the way we're all teaching. Um, if the kids are still producing high scores on tests, I guess it's OK. Um, and that was frustrating to me, too, that I was being judged based on the test scores. From what I'm hearing, and, and I'm, I'm going to, if I can reframe them for a moment. Yeah, You please. were ahead of your time because that's what that's what is sought now in those classrooms, right? I mean, that's what right. that's what we we think good learning is. And you, you're not the sage on the stage. You're down there playing with them. You're exploring your learning with them. Right. Um, which the fact that that was a natural instinct, I think didn't just come naturally to me because of who I am as a person. I think it also came because I was used to creating theater collaboratively with people. You know, a, I didn't do one woman shows. It was, hey, we're better together. Um, we got to explore together. And early on, I got very interested in Augusta Boal's work as well and was interested in the idea of not just a spectator, but a spect actor and how do you get people involved? Um, so I'm glad to know that some things I knew by instinct, but of course, I'm still constantly learning. I mean, you know, there are some days that feel great and successful, and there are some moments that feel really crappy. <laughs> and I go, okay, let's fix that. Um, but I'm very transparent with the students. So if something isn't working, we'll stop in the moment and I'll say, yeah, it's not, it's not working. <laughs> let's talk about why it's not working. Um, and how do we fix it? And I open it up to them to, to help fix it because they usually know better. 
Well, and and surely they take ownership then. Like 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 oh, this yeah. is our classroom. Like they have some points of pride with that for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, looking back at that first year now, um what what is the what is one thing you wish you had known walking into that day one? I think I wish I would have known that it's okay to be vulnerable and to not have all the answers. I think when you're teaching, you often feel like, oh, my gosh, in order to be a good teacher, I need to look like I know what I'm doing. And yes, okay, that is important. You should know what you're doing. But uh, we're still figuring stuff out. As adults, we're constantly figuring stuff out. And we might have figured stuff out in the wrong way. We might not know something exactly right. And our students might know something that we hadn't thought about. Um, and so I think the sense of vulnerability, the sense of it's okay, I can be open and I can share my heart. Um, that is something that I, I did a little bit that first year when I just fessed up that I didn't have a teacher certification. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Um, they just saw that I was being genuine and honest. And there we go back to that truth. I was being truthful in the moment. And because I was honest and vulnerable with them, they could be the same with me. And I continue that. But the same thing, if I don't have an answer to a question, I'll say, you know, I'm not sure. Let's figure that out together. Um, or I don't know yet, but you better believe I want to know now. Um, will you, do you want to do the research or do you want me to? Like, how are we going to go about this? Um who else might know? Who can we talk to? So that's a big one. Um, and the other piece, I guess, would be the classroom management piece, which I know has always been a struggle for so many people, me included. Um, I initially wanted to be their friend. And the truth is, I love my students. Um, I see them as, as if they were my own kids. Um, Regardless of age, I don't talk down to them. I just, they're, I treat them as human beings and I love them. And I always find something pretty special about each one that I can absolutely adore. But I also have boundaries. You know, I'm not going to sit and gossip with them about things that wouldn't be appropriate. And I'm not going to try to lure out gossip from them either. Or um, I'm not one of those acting teachers that will say, okay, let's do an imagine if exercise. And I want you to tell me what you were thinking about what you were picturing that got you so upset. I feel like, no, that's, that's private to them. If they really want to start sharing some of that, I'll usually pause them and say, look, I appreciate that you want to share some of that. But if you want to talk to someone else who can really support you, I can guide you in the right direction, but you have the right to have your stories. Hmm. You don't have to share everything um, because it's good to protect yourself. So I think I've learned over the years and my students still see me. They're very close with me and we're very attached. I think that's what happens in theater. Um, but I'm not their friend. I'm more of like, you know, their drama mama or, you know, it's I will love on them. But they also know if I give them a look or um, if I gently come over to them and whisper, are you OK? <laughs> then, then they're like, oh, okay, wait, what's going on? Um, and they want to do better. Um, so that's something I wish I would have learned. I think I really, in the beginning, just wanted everybody to like me. Um, and now 
it's not that I don't care about that, but I don't really care about them liking me. I'm much more interested in them growing and developing and being pushed to do good work. Yeah. Um, and do most of them end up liking me in the end? Perhaps. Do I win everybody over? No. Um, but that's okay. I think I feel a lot happier um, having that balance. And I think the students feel like they're in a much safer environment, actually, with that boundary. Hey, theater educators, this is Jimmy Chrisman. If you have ever wondered how you can support the podcast in any way, well, I'm about to tell you. Dead Talks podcast has always been and will always be a free podcast that I put out there for you teachers. I know you don't make a lot of money. I don't make a lot of money as a university professor. But if the podcast is something that has helped you out or that you just really want to find a way to support us, this is how. Visit www.buymeacoffee.com slash PC. And there you can make a donation right to the expenses of the show to help offset those costs. I thank you in advance for what you will do. Thank you for those of you who have donated. I appreciate it. And even if you can't make a donation, I still appreciate you. Just continue to listen and continue to share. That website again is www.buymeacoffee.com slash PC. I want to fast forward a little bit to um, NYU. Um, okay. And anyone who's on the show, I always ask them, why did you do that to yourself? Why, why did I do did that to myself? Pursue that doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, because I love learning. I mean, if I could, if I could pursue more, and I know I probably could. Um, I think the big difference for me was in undergrad and even in my grad programs, it was here, we're going to give you information, you digest it and find a way to share back what you've learned in whatever format, right? With the doctorate, the thing that appealed to me was um, my chair, who's, bless his heart, he's no longer alive, um, but my chair of that program, Dr. Philip Taylor, Mm -hmm. I remember him saying to me, Desi, you don't just come here to learn stuff. You do that too. But you come here to contribute to the field and share something that nobody knows yet. And that terrified me, but excited me. And I thought, ooh, I get to contribute. And the thing that, another thing I wish I had learned that doesn't just happen in doctoral programs, but I do this with my undergrad students too at UCLA, is you're never too young to share knowledge. Everybody has knowledge at different points. If you want to go present at a conference, if you want to go write an article, if you want to um, create a play, do it. Like nothing should stop you and think only when I'm pursuing my doctoral program or only when I'm pursuing my MFA or whatever the final degree is that you're trying to go after. Um, Only then are you ready to share. And I think honestly, even as I'm sure you can empathize with this when you were a doctoral student even then I thought oh my gosh who am I what do I have to say what do I have to share um and I remember I threw out a few topics for possible study and some of my mentors just looked at me and said Desi that's too easy for you anybody else can study those questions you need a question that you really (laughs) want to pursue and it drove me nuts I'm like um But that's why I was interested in exploring classroom management and dramatic activities. Um, How do we prepare? How can we teach those skills that seem unteachable? And you can teach them. Um, 
So that was my interest. That's that's why I wanted to do it. I was interested in contributing, but of course, I was also really interested in learning and growing. And um, the NYU program in particular was really appealing because I had the opportunity to study with some founding people in the field. You know, mm -hmm. I got to work with Gavin Bolton and Dorothy Hefkid and Cecily O'Neill. Um, I worked with Augusta Boal twice. I mean, there's some people that I just I'm so thankful, especially as a lot of those people are older now or have passed, that I've had the opportunity to study with them, you know, that there are a lot of books out there um, that I've read, but, but they're my teachers too, like yeah. Bruce Miller also from University of Miami. I read his books and his articles and teaching theater, but he was also my acting teacher. And um, so there was just that natural connection. Um, so I love that. And I love the study abroad aspect too. But yeah, pursuing a doctorate, um, it can feel daunting and scary, but truly if anybody is committed or wants to do it, they should do it. Um, and I think the good people will lift you up and will empower you to continue to study and do things. And the people that are threatened or who have given up themselves might just try to tell you it's not worth it. Um, yes, there was a lot of debt. <laughs> but I'm very proud that I finally paid all that off. Um, and it is worth it. You know, it's helped me a great deal working at universities, obviously, to have my doctorate, um, as well as a lot of my consulting gigs and my workshops that I do around town. I really think the doctorate helped me a great deal. I remember being in the middle of it meant a couple of times. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not. We're, this is not going to get finished. Right. I'm just I'm done. Um, right. And then when I for for those who are not familiar with the dissertation writing, the, the that final chapter is is what you're contributing with this. This is you contributing oh. to the field, and that was the hardest thing for me to write because I'm like, who am I? Like I know who who cares what I have to say, and <laughs> and I mean that that voice is still in my head now. Even when I write yeah. articles or I present, I'm like, who am I to? <laughs> I'm just Jimmy sitting in my basement. I mean, that's what's happening. <laughs> I know, but you know, we are our own worst enemies. We get in our own way, um, and I think there are so many other people that see wonderful things in us. Um, but when it comes to ourselves, and we have to either talk about ourselves or tell people you know write something and try to make a big statement it's really hard I mean I kind of wish dissertations would change from the typical dissertation style and would move to hey you get to write a really cool play and pursue that that's your dissertation you get to write a novel you get to I mean Elliot Eisner talked about that a lot um and I just don't think it's happening enough. Yeah. I mean, there are people who write ethnodramas and then they still have to write a research paper about that and useful. It's slightly changing, I think, in the field. But um, yeah, I wish, honestly, I wish collaborative dissertations mm. more acceptable, especially in a collaborative form like theater. Yeah. Um, I And I think in then, in that regard, a dissertation process would be so exciting, you know, working with one or two other people, then you're working together, you're writing together, you're pushing each other, you're a natural support group. And think about how awesome that dissertation would be. 
I'm not going to apologize to the listeners right now because I know most of you are probably like, oh, this is just Jimmy geeking out about college things and, and nerd things. And that's okay. It's my show. I get to do that. Um, yes. So <laughs> I, I want to one final question about about the, the higher ed piece. And then I want to move to talking about your program at your school now. Sure. Um, what What is it for you, Desi, about teaching future teachers or teaching artists that you love? Okay. So for me, it comes to the big question of why do we do it all? Hmm. And when people ask me what I teach, I used to say, oh, I teach theater. I teach people how to teach theater or teach the arts. And I guess I still say that sometimes. But what I'm really teaching is love and learning about others and collaborating and um, trying to find a way to make the world a better place. No pressure. But if that's my big why, that's what I infuse into every single class. Uh, And I think about that, okay, how can I really love my students and teach them how to love themselves and how to love others? How can we really embrace that through the art form? So whether we do that through dramatic activities or we do that through, you know, performance or through um, visual arts or music or any kind of movement activities, I'm always rooted to the big why. Um, what do I really want them to walk away with? And when they walk away with, wow, I finally felt really seen and loved, or um, I was always nervous to express this, but I finally got to say it on a platform, on a stage, um, then I know I'm doing the right thing. And to me, that's the biggest thing is, unfortunately, especially in higher education, I don't think education is as fun as it should be. Mm. Um, And I always get that kind of comment. Um, I have seniors who take my class at UCLA um, and I have different classes, but they'll say, why aren't other classes like this? Why aren't other professors flexible? Why aren't other professors um, teaching me that it's okay to feel a variety of different emotions? Uh, why, Why don't other professors focus on relationship building and helping me to become more social or more aware of my biases, of my prejudices, you know, why isn't this, why isn't this taught? And I teach that through the arts. I think that is an important thing. How can we understand our own humanity? How can we be better people? Hmm. Um, So that's what drives me. And I think because I don't have the answers to that, um, I know love has got to be a big part of it um, and sharing and collaborating and appreciating and gratitude. That's all has got to be a big part of it. But because I'm still trying to find the answers to those questions too, um, I think people are interested to jump on board Hmm. and who isn't interested in becoming a better person? I don't know. Uh, And how can we use theater to educate other people about what's really happening in the world and what's going on and that we actually can make change even around all the terrible stuff that's happening every day, all the time, everywhere, you know, we can still make a big impact even in one person's life and our own life. Um, even stopping being our own worst critics, you know, like the whole <laughs> imposter syndrome right. of like, who am I to say this? Who am I to do this? Um, you are the exact right person to do this, you know, just like you're the exact right person to host this show. It's this was meant for you. So that's what drives me. 
I want to know about all the great things going on at Westside Neighborhood School. I always start with the oldest grade. So we go up, we're a preschool through eighth grade school. And the arts are required at our school, which I love. So they're viewed, well, almost as important as the academic subjects, but in my mind, they're viewed as just as important. Um, But in middle school, for example, everyone takes visual arts, everyone takes music, everyone takes theater arts, everybody learns some dance in addition to all their other subjects. And I think that's pretty unique and special. They're not forced to choose. Um, It's just required. They all have to take it. So while we might have some kids who are really into theater, we also have kids who really aren't into theater or so they think at first, but I nurture that creative aspect in them to allow them to play, allow them to relax, allow them to be vulnerable and allow them to speak their mind um, and share that in some way with an audience. So I always believe in authentic learning that it's not just performing for us, although that's useful. So, for example, with my eighth graders, they have a culminating project, which is basically almost a year long project, but they write their own show. They direct it. They do all aspects behind the scenes. They're stage managers. They run the lights, the sounds. They create the props. They paint the sets. They do costume design. They do all of it. And the reason I want them to do all of that is because I know a lot of adults don't get that experience of hey, I wrote a play and I did all these other aspects and I put it on for 600 people. So I do that because I also want them to get the experience of what it takes to put on a show. And there's a lot more ownership and a lot more excitement. And because that's their culminating experience in eighth grade with me as they put on their own show for our school community and for the community at large, they know that, oh gosh, I have to get this ready. I've got to do it. Um, and I, I'm their guide all along the way, and I provide mentorship in areas if it's not a strength of mine. We're in LA, right? Like you said, we're in California. So I can say, oh, hey, I happen to know this person who's an Oscar winner who wrote some plays, you know, <laughs> and I happen to know this person. And uh, luckily, I know some really humble, wonderful people who are in the industry who are happy to mentor my students. And so already having that connection too is a big deal. And so they know they're not just performing for their school, which is already a big deal, and their families, they might have these entertainment people in the industry come see the show because they mentored them. So that's something I really love is that project. And because I am going with the oldest grade now, and I know that's my goal that by the time they get to high school, I want them to know how to act, how to write a play, um, right? even a simple scene, like how to something solid. And I want them to know some element of behind the scenes that they master for the show because they don't do everything. But I mean, they do everything for the show, but they each take on something that interests them, whether it's sound design or sound effects or, uh, you know, house management or whatever it is. They like take on something and they go for it. Um, They then bring that to their high schools. And usually a lot of my students, when they graduate and they're in high school and ninth grade, they tend to take leadership positions behind the scenes. Um, And on stage two, they develop this respect and trust level of, wow, this is hard work no matter what you're doing in a theater production. Um, And every part is incredibly important. So because that's my goal, then each year leading up to that, I make sure that I introduce aspects of that. We focus on some acting techniques. How do we show truth? on stage 
Um, how can we make something believable for, for an audience and move an audience to either take action or to think differently? Or how do we move them to cry so the actors aren't crying? You know, how do we get people really involved? And they see me direct and I give them some small units on directing and how to create stage pictures and what, you know, the power of one, you know, that strategy where they're like, let's say everybody's doing one thing, but there's one person who's either standing still while everybody's moving or, you know, one person's moving and everyone's still, you know, there's like, what am I trying to tell with that story? How am I supporting that with my directing? Um, so I teach them some of those skills over the years. And then um, we go to Shakespeare and they fall in love with Shakespeare by seventh grade. So I want them to know, look, you can handle any kind of performance, challenging text, as well as physical theater or telling stories with no words. And they get the opportunity as they continue in their middle school years, they get to direct short little Shakespeare scenes with each other and they get to um, make connections to what's going on in their own lives and beyond. And they get to learn about design projects over time. We do a Shakespeare gallery project, for example, where students can do a costume design for the witches from the Scottish play, or they can do um, create a sword uh, for Hamlet and put, you know, hidden text all over it and say why they created that sword. Um, there's just a lot of cool stuff that they can make from props to costumes. They'll even create sound designs or soundtracks for plays. Um, they'll, we have, I'm very lucky in my theater classroom, I also have a small lighting board. So if they wanna do lighting design, they can actually design it for our black box theater for the class. And then they can show me their designs for the scenes, but they can also map it all out so they can t they can pick something that's interesting to them. And so they build that skill so that by the time they're in eighth grade, they can put on the full production. Um, what else? We also do scripted shows. Um, we do some of those scripted shows or scripted scenes early on. So they actually can learn about good, mm -hmm. good playwriting, you know, good scripts that they're not just coming up with things that aren't that great. And we always do a scripted musical every year. So it gives them the opportunity to work with different styles. But my favorites are always the I was going to say, I want to talk about those de de device pieces because just from everything you've shared so far yeah. in our conversation, I've, I've only met you tonight. Um, you, you create a space from day one that it's safe to play. It's safe to try things. It's safe to see what works and what doesn't. So talk yeah. to me about some of the, the experiences with the device work with your kids. Okay, great. I actually can talk about the most recent eighth grade show that we did. Full on disclosure, uh, every year, you know, things get moved around in the space. People, they have to paint walls, different things happen. So at the beginning of last year, and I have a variety of different set pieces that some kids have built, et cetera. So I have things around the room, right? Well, last year when I came back to my space, there was a door in the black box theater, just chilling. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to move this door. I'm going to use this in class. A little fun, yeah. And so my eighth graders come in, they see the door. Of course, they're intrigued. And they're like, what's the door for? I'm like, we're going to play with the door today. What are we going to come up with? And I said, you know, first, we're going to try to come up with characters um, where I don't even want to see you. But based on your knock or how you walk up to the door from behind the door, we want to know what kind of mood and tension you're creating just from your knock and from your footsteps. Let's see. Let's see what we can come up with. So people are stomping, banging on the door. Um, people are like scratching on the doors if they're a dog, you know, things like that. I'm like, okay, this is fun for like two minutes. Let's make it more interesting. So I said, okay, now you've got to say something. You, you can knock on the door 
But now you have to say something that sets it up like something's about to go down, like something big. I want to be in the middle of a scene. I want to be like shocked. So, of course, people are going up and bang and be like, FBI, open up, you know, or knock, knock, knock. You're being evicted, you know, like things like that. And I was like, "Ooh, this is interesting. Let's actually do some improvised scenes around some of these scenarios. So we were playing basically the first class. We were just doing a bunch of improv around the door and we had some really hilarious moments with some crazy girl trying to sell Girl Scout cookies in a very um, <laughs> scary way where you had to buy them. Um, and then we also had people saying, you know, I'm really like from the heart. And it felt like it was something that they might have experienced of, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry, but you're being evicted, you know, or we can't keep the rent low mm -hmm. anymore. Rent is going up. Like people started sharing some real stuff. And uh, that's when I knew we had a show. And I thought, you know, there are always entrances and exits with a door and a door might seem simple. But what if we create a variety of different scenes that either tell us the beginning of a story or the end of a story or catch us in the middle of a story? It could be different time periods, but it's got to capture our heart in some way. And the students were like, so we're writing about doors. I'm like, no, the door has to be part of the scene. But you're writing about what does the door represent in your scene? So, for example, a student wrote a very powerful scene about a door acting as if that's where um, when you leave the door, you move from life to death. And so she actually wrote this scene where there was a grandma who was dying um, and there were parents who were just arguing and a little kid who was in the room who noticed that the grandma was dying and um, the grandma was first on the bed, but then after the grandma died, the parents didn't see this, but the little kid did. The grandma walks to the door and waves to the little kid and the little kid waves back and ends up telling the parents, oh, hey, don't worry, you know, she'll come visit. You know, she just walked out that door and they're like, no, she's still here. She didn't go anywhere. But that the kid understood that mm -hmm. the grandma was transitioning. So they were using doors in different ways that it wasn't just I'm opening a door and now the scene has nothing to do with the door anymore. Um, the door became mm. a central character, so to speak. Another one was we did metaphorical doors. This eighth grader wrote about all these doors she has closed up in her mind, including insecurity and low self-esteem. And she had all these characters play different voices kind of battering at her. And she finally kicks them all out. And she says, you all need to leave. And they all exit different doors. And then finally, her self-esteem comes back. And she's like, where have you been? He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't feeling so good. But that was a very powerful scene and really touched the hearts of both our kids and the adults in the room because we've all felt that. So I was really proud of them for them pushing themselves in that way. And so what initially was like, what's this door doing here? Let's play with it. Turned into, oh, wait, our, we could have a show revolve around doors pun intended. Um, and, you know, what could we call it? And so the students, you know, came up with a bunch of scenes. They wrote a lot of scenes. They wrote individual scenes. They wrote scenes in partners. Um, and we kind of sifted through them and did some reads and kind of wanted to go through which ones were our favorites, which ones did we feel like were unique and different and would touch our hearts in some way, either really make us laugh or really make us question um, something we really connected with, even if it felt vulnerable. And um, then we picked our favorite scenes 
So I had three sections of eighth graders. We picked our favorites and then we found a way to tie them all together. And we just had one or two doors on stage that just would rotate. So when one scene ended and someone left, a new scene started. So it was really fun. Uh, that was a really great experience. And I think they were really proud of what they created. And of course, they named it Unhinged. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Because it was crazy. I have the, I'll show you the poster for it. Um, and the poster was also designed by a student, an eighth grade student. So this was our show last year. Oh, I love that. Um, I know the audience can't see it, but I can. That's fantastic. I know. It's awesome. Um, so it was a really cool experience. So I like working that way. Um, and I think this year I'm thinking about letters as being the theme Sometimes I'll usually pick something, but I'll throw it so it's broad enough so the students can just wow me. But they need something to chew on. Um, and how that door exercise honestly not worked that first day <laughs> as well as it did, I might have picked something else, you know. Um, I might have given them props that they had to find a way to use, like maybe a trash can that had to be part of the whole scene or something that connected the scenes together or the story together. I just, I love hearing that. I love the, you, you gave them the, the space to create and play. You gave them the opportunity to stretch and, and show you what they can do. And every single time, and in my experience, and I'm sure you're going to echo it, they're going to go beyond what you ever expected. Oh yeah. That's so cool. That is so cool. Are you a regular listener of Fed Talks and have always wondered how you can be a guest on the show? Well, this is how you sign up to be a guest on Fed Talks and join the ranks of all the other amazing theater educators that have been on the show. All you do is go to www.fedtalks.com and right at the top of the page, there's a link that says register as a guest. Click that and then you'll be taken to a page where you fill out some information and hit submit. And once you do, you'll be taken to a scheduling link where you can schedule a time to have an interview with me and share your stories and resources here on the show. You may think, oh, I don't really have something to talk about. Nobody wants to hear my stories. You know what? Every single guest who I have talked to has pretty much said the same thing. And we have a fantastic conversation. And hopefully those stories and what you're hearing keep bringing you back. So I promise you, you have things that people want to hear. And I want to hear from you. www.fedtalks.com and click register as a guest. Stop thinking about it and just do it. I can't wait to talk to you soon. Well, that, I, I love the two stories you just shared, but is there anything else from your career so far that has been like one of those funny moments, mm. those touching moments, a horror story that you want to share with us? Oh my gosh. I know. I'm just focusing on all the positives. Um, by the way, listeners, you should know that every theater teacher has moments they probably don't want to talk about. <laughs> um, I've had those too. And that's okay. You know, I think that's how you learn and that's how you mm -hmm. get better. Um, I do have another thing that I did last year that I'm like, why didn't I do this before? I did the show Puffs. Do you know that play? Mm -hmm, I do. So I did that show and I had a student approach me, a seventh grader at the beginning of the year, who literally was pitching to me how much she wanted to learn about directing. And so I said, you know what? Why don't you be my assistant director for the show? She lit up. She couldn't believe it. She's like, oh, my gosh, me, really? They're going to be eighth and seventh graders in the play. I'm, you know, I'm going to be on the younger end. I said, no, you're perfect. You'll be my assistant director. We'll have meetings. It's going to be great. Within 
two weeks of rehearsal. So our rehearsals are really wonky at my school. It's great in the sense that we rehearse mostly during the school day. There are very few after school rehearsals, which I love, especially being a mama of a three-year-old. But because we rehearse during the day, it's it's like random. It's not like every day at this time. It's, you know, maybe it's once on this day and then eight days later, another time for an hour. Mm. Like it's, ugh. it's not my ideal pattern, but we do it. So after a few weeks of working with the cast, I thought, why am I still directing the show? I think I need to really challenge her and have her be the main director and I'll be her assistant. Um, and while that's something I do with my eighth graders where they're directing and I'm guiding, normally for scripted shows, I'm like, okay, you guys, I got this. <laughs> Let me help you out. Um, but here I really wanted to flip it and push her. And she had seen me and she knew the kind of style I was going for, but I was open and I already was asking her a lot of questions of, you know what, I'm stuck here. What should we do? I mean, I wasn't really stuck, but, you know, you could always come up with things, but I wanted to see her input. And a lot of the ideas she would suggest, I liked more than my own. And I thought, she just needs to direct the show. So then I made her be the director of the show. <laughs> and she was freaking out. She was so excited, but she was freaking out. I said, don't worry, I'm still going to be at all the rehearsals. I will support you. But this is going to be really good for you. She knocked it out of the park. And I was so incredibly proud of her. The cast had initially constantly coming to me as Dr. Cameron, you know, and then I was like, you got to go to Gigi. She's the one directing the show. And they started shifting who they would speak to, who they would ask questions to about their motivations or their objective or what tactic they should try or whatever they were doing. They would ask her, her level of confidence. I mean, the way she grew last year was unbelievable, not just as a director, but also in the way that she worked in class. she Not that she was shy before, but she would act a little bit. She would do a little bit. But I didn't quite know what her thing was. And now I know. Now, you know, I, I can't wait to see what she'll do for the eighth grade show this year. I just am like blown away by that. And that's something that for me was a good learning experience because I need to do that more. I need to let go a lot more and give other people the opportunity to shine and grow and stretch themselves. And I'm doing that a lot more with my department. I'm constantly asking, hey, do you want to run with this? You want to direct the show? You want to choreograph? You want to go for it. I will support you and cheer you on, but go, go, go. Um, and it just makes our program stronger that way. I mean, I have a story when I was performing in college that's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can share that. I mean, if this is for the college crowd. Go for it. Uh, so I was in a Christmas carol, you know, the usual winter show that tends to happen. And, um, this was at a community theater and I was very proud, you know, cause there I was performing in the community, not just at my college. Problem was it was an amphitheater. We're outdoors. We had a small audience. I think this was like an, it was a huge amphitheater, but we had a small audience cause it was raining. So the fact that we had to do the show while it was raining was just like, come on, you guys, let's go. What are we doing? But we did it. We're like, okay, we're acting. We're doing this. We're committing. And I was Bob Cratchit's daughter. I don't even remember the name of my character, but there I was. <laughs> and um, something came over me in this scene when we learned that Tiny Tim had died. And this is really embarrassing, but I just, I couldn't help it. I started laughing. I was just, you know, being a little bit of a goof on stage. And everybody in the scene was laughing so hard they were crying. And you know, Bob Cratchit, who's my dad, is like, 
laughing and crying as he's saying Tiny Tim's dead. We're all laughing Tiny Tim's dead. It's like the worst thing ever. <laughs> and then people in the audience are laughing. They're like, what are we doing with this? Like, what's happening? <laughs> and I just thought, oh, this is really bad. Like, but I was having so much fun. I was like, and you know when you're laughing and you just can't stop, you know? And I just felt so bad because I knew I had started it. And I was like, oh, gosh, we're going to get in so much trouble from the director because the director always watched all the shows. And as soon as that scene was over and we got off stage and something else was going to happen, like some ghost or who knows, Scrooge, or I don't know what was going to come on. The director comes running up to us and yells at us. And he's like, that was so unprofessional. And then he looks at me and he's like, Desiree, I'm so disappointed in you. And I was like, I couldn't help it. It's raining. And and didn't mean that everybody else had to laugh. He was like, yeah, but when you start laughing on stage, it's a problem. For that, you know, I tell that story because one, everybody messes up. All all your theater teachers, everybody messes up in performance, in directing, in the classroom. And by messing something up, you, you're you not just messing something up for yourself, you mess it up for the group. Um, and while we all had a great laugh in the moment, we all felt really bad because we were like, that's bad, that tiny Tim was dead. Um, so it, it made me realize, you know, it's so important to not be selfish on stage. Um, mm. And it's really important to, whether it's your moment or not your moment, you're always there to support the focus and the story of the scene. That's meant to be a sad scene for a reason. And you ruin it if it's not. Or it's just a completely different show. <laughs> it's just a very different kind of twisted show. Um, I tell that story to say, yes, I've made mistakes as a performer. Um, I've also had moments where I ran off stage crying because I forgot, like, my song. Does that mean I was a bad performer? No, but I made mistakes in those moments, and I had moments where I freaked out. But then the strength is is in picking yourself back up and doing it right the next day. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know what? I might have messed up. This might have happened, but there's always a new day. And you can always do things right the next day. And um, or there's a next period that you have with yep. a new class. Fix it. Get it right. Same thing with my teaching. I've had moments that have been glorious in my classroom. And I have moments where I just thought, wow, you know, that didn't go the way I expected. Or I thought I explained one activity and they did something completely different. Instead of blaming the students, I always blame myself. And I think of, ah, okay, they're talking, I wasn't clear with my directions, or they're not talking because I wasn't clear with my directions, they're supposed to be talking. So I always take that on myself and find ways to improve and make it better. Um, so I hope, I hope your listeners find some solace in that in knowing that everybody makes mistakes, everybody is going to get something wrong. Um, but I think it's important to admit to that and say, yes, I've messed up. Yes, I've done some things wrong. And then I find ways to change it and make it better and do it right. Yeah. Um, and it makes you better. It makes you appreciate the right things when you've done it the wrong way, not to encourage that you should do it the wrong way. Yeah, I guess those are some of my... Thank you for sharing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, my final two questions are the ones that I ask everyone on the show. The first is, what is a resource that you are using or have used that is a must-have for theater teachers? Now, I know I'm sort of cheating with my answer here because I'm sure a lot of people will say websites or books that they use. Personally, I think it's the people. Uh, and I don't think people use that resource enough. I think as theater teachers, we can often feel like we're isolated, that we're in our own space, we're doing our own thing. We've looked at the resources we know of, or we might've asked one or two people, but then we're like, oh, I should know what I'm doing by now. 
And while there are plenty of books and there are plenty of websites, um, I think the best resources are other theater teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, that's what I think you're doing so well here, Jimmy, is that you're using that resource. My suggestion and advice would be don't be afraid to reach out to people, email people. Um, If they don't email you back, maybe they're just really busy. Don't just write them off as jerks. Maybe there's just something going on. Um, But what if they do write you back? And what if it's someone you admire? What if it's someone you just met or someone that you're interested in learning more about? And they're willing to share resources, you know, joining your educational theater associations, AATE, EDTA, for us in California, it's CETA, the California Educational Theater Association. There are forums where people are willing to share and help. And I think often we think we have to do it all by ourselves. I am constantly reaching out to theater teachers in my area or across. I'm like, hey, anybody done this show? Anybody want to borrow some, you know, lend me some sets or some costumes or props? Why do I have to do that all by myself from scratch, you know? Mm Um, or, hey, I'm tackling this show, but I think it's really problematic and I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> what, do, what do other people think? And can we talk about it? I think that took me a while, to be honest, to realize the importance of genuine networking and really reaching out to people that you think are just good people um, that you know will be there to help you and support you and give you some good resources. So that, I think, is the biggest resource that you have is that the theater ad world might feel small, and it is in some ways. I think we know a lot of people within the theater ad world, but it's a lot bigger than we think it is. And there are a lot of people who have so much that they're willing to share that either they devised or modified, and they would be happy to say, oh, here's my curriculum. Here's my unit plan. You know, people have asked me, Desi, can I see your whole playwriting sequence of what you do with devised theater for eighth grade? Sure. But if people don't ask, how do I know to send it to them? So that would be my thing is that, I mean, if you're looking for specific, I do a lot of Shakespeare. Um, I love looking at the RSC website for study guides for the Shakespeare plays. I just think those are some really strong ones. And I'm sure people have mentioned a variety of sites and books. There's another book. Well, there's a book by Chip Wood. It's not a theater book, um, but it is more about what to expect at different ages. Uh, Now, of course, it's give and take because, you know, emotionally, someone might be at a different age, older or younger than their natural age um, or physically or academically. But what I like about it is called Yardsticks by Mm. Chip Wood. And what I like about that book is that it really just defines what you can expect per grade level, what you can expect. And it's pretty pretty right on. I think it's a helpful guide to see where you can go. What are some themes that people are interested in? Of course, just asking your students straight on what they care about is probably more revealing. But I do find myself going back to that resource over the years. Ashley Worley, um, she, I believe she's still out in um, San Francisco, the Bay Area. Um, she, she told me about that book um, on season one. And I I ordered it and I use it in my freshman methods class every year when we talk about middle schoolers and the different ages and yep. I, yeah, it's fantastic. So teachers, if you it's don't good. have it, I recommend it. Yeah, no, it's great. And I like that they continue to revise it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, community building books. I actually, I recommend also in terms of resources, read plays, read shows and not just the ones from decades ago that we all should sort of know get out there and watch shows like 
get yourself really invested in what's happening now in theater. Yeah. Um, because I think some people are still so stuck in Oklahoma or still stuck in some old shows that are just like, I don't want to bash Oklahoma, but it's like, look, there are other shows out there. Like, let's really see what's out there or create your own new shows. I mean, I saw Tambo and Bones recently, which is not, not really a musical, but it's phenomenal. And um, that inspired me to do more creative, more ambitious work. You know, I think... Mm pushing yourself to see things and read and do things is really important and not just in your own field just read articles read just read everything <laughs> keep on top of the world know what's going on well you have dropped some wonderful pearls of wisdom throughout our whole conversation but my last question is what are your parting words of wisdom for that new teacher entering the field or that veteran teachers needing an encouraging word right now for entering the field remember why you love theater I think if if there's something, if you're pursuing theater education, I'm hoping it's because you like theater and that you like working with other people. <laughs> and, and so if that's the case, always try to think about that. Like, what was the moment for you that made you so obsessed and clicked for you that made you go, yes, this is what I want to do. I love this. And I think remembering that inciting moment for ourselves of what clicked for us, either like the story I told you of when I realized I was a teacher um, or having moments on stage when you're like, oh my gosh, I love performing or I love directing or whatever it is that you love to do, calling on that and remembering that and then finding a way to instill that in your students and find, hopefully you can be a part of that moment for them too. Um, so I think it's grounding yourself in the love of it. Why are you doing what you do? Constantly thinking about the why. What are you in this for? Why do you want to do this? What do you want your students to learn? If there's one thing you want them to learn the whole entire year, what is it and why? And it should go beyond a skill-based, but that's something I would really push. What's your why? What's your main what? Other advice I have would be, again, like I said, reaching out to people. I think that's really important. You're not alone, even if it can feel isolating or if you feel alone at your school or at your setting, you're not alone in the field. And uh, every day is a new day. Hmm. Just because you have a rough moment or because, you know, someone says something highly inappropriate in class and you're not sure how to react to it. I don't know if I can say this on the show, but there was a student who said, I need to use my penis now. Um, I was like, oh, you mean you need to use the restroom? Great. And uh, the, I said, well, that's your own private matter. That's, you know, have a great time. <laughs> like, what are you so, uh, but I think they were hoping for a different reaction from me. I'm like, how oh, do I say the word penis? But I think in those moments, you can be caught off guard and think, oh, how do I react? Um, so more advice there would be, no matter what happens, always take a breath before you respond. Breathing is always okay. You can take multiple breaths. You can just say, let me think about that for a moment. You can freak them out and wait for five minutes and then respond. But give yourself time to, to breathe and give yourself a break. Not every single class is going to be the most glorious class you've ever taught in your life. But if there's a positive impact you had, even on just one person, even if it happened at the beginning of class or at the end, then it was still a successful class. Um, so I think that's really helpful in not giving up or thinking, oh, I don't, or I, you know, I couldn't figure out management today or this went wrong or I didn't do this right or 
Um, I kept changing my mind for the way I directed the scene, which often drives actors crazy. But if you keep changing your mind in the blocking, while that's not ideal, maybe the students are learning that there are different ways to block a scene um, and find the positive within the challenge. So yeah, I've been teaching for over 20 plus years and I still have moments where I'm like, ah, could have done it better. And that's exciting. That's good that I get to stretch myself and be better. Well, Dr. Cameron, thank you so much for joining me tonight and, and just, just chatting and sharing your stories. I, I'm going to be very honest with you. It had nothing to do with you, but I was just really tired and really down. And this was exactly what I needed tonight to help kind of kick my butt for the beginning of the year. So thank you. Uh, and thank you for all you do with your kids out there that you're they're very fortunate they're very fortunate to have you thank you well thank you for all you're doing and i hope i hope you're lifted up a bit your love jimmy oh thank you you. i love you look at this what we just met and i love you and that is a wrap for this episode of Fed Talks Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please visit our website at www.fedtalks.com where you can find all of the past guest pages with their valuable resources and lots more information on the website for you. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast provider so that it automatically populates in your podcast app so you don't have to miss a single episode. Please rate us, leave us those five stars, review us, tell us what you're liking, and more importantly, share the podcast with all of those theater educators in your life who you think could benefit from what we're doing here on the show. You can email me at jimmy at fedtalks.com and I will always respond. I love interacting with you on there. Visit us on Twitter at Theater Ed Talks, Facebook, the Fed Talks page, and on Instagram, Fed Talks Podcast. Teachers, I appreciate you. I love you. And I am so grateful for all that you're doing and the light that you're bringing to this world. Continue to change those students' lives and continue to make a difference in the world. Join us next week for a new episode. I'm your host, Jimmy Chrisman. Have an amazing week.